Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. It's still September, guys. you got a week left. If you create a new account on MyBookie today and use the promo code UGA, they will double your first deposit. You will not find a better promo deal out there anywhere, so make sure to take advantage of it while you still can. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me to recap Georgia's incredibly sloppy 39-22 victory over the Kent State Golden Flashes is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And Curtis, I think sloppy is the right word to use in describing this game. This was a game that, as far as I'm concerned, was never really in doubt. I know it was 12-10 to 10 there for about, what, three minutes in the second quarter before we mounted a drive to go back up 19-10. So I know technically it was a one-score game for a little while, and I know that a lot of fans got antsy because everyone was just expecting us to blow the doors off of Kent State from the word go, and when that did not happen, a lot of people out there were kind of bewildered. Like, what is happening right now? I thought we were already have won the national title at this point. But again, like I never thought that Kent State was going to win this game. Even when it was a one-score game, I felt confident that they would not be able to stop us when it came down to it. And yeah, it turned out to be exactly that way. But still, Curtis, there was not a fan in attendance for our 60th straight sellout that left that stadium feeling good on Saturday, including myself, because this was yet another game where we clearly outclassed the opponent in talent by a considerable margin but our poor execution kept the final score far closer than it should have been. So, Curtis, what was going through your head while you were watching this game? And I guess right in its immediate aftermath, like what was your visceral immediate reaction? All right, so I had like three feelings. I think first was just disappointment. Um, I think disappointed with the overall effort and everything. And then second, I would say outside the feeling of like, this is good. Um, because I feel like there have been, you know, the old cliche there's so much rat poison this week came from right. all of the media that I was like, okay, this is this is a good thing. Like this isn't the worst thing. And then I think the last thing was just frustration, um, which kind of went with the disappointment. Like just frustrated at the things that they were doing were just like it's it it was just 
it was just frustrating overall. Like the, the effort was there, but the, I don't know if maybe the effort wasn't there completely either, but it was just, it was, those were my three feelings about throughout the whole day. I don't think it was an effort thing. I really do. I know some people do and that's fine. Yeah. Like, but I, I don't feel it was that. But Curtis, I will say, I have a hard time explaining games like this. So let me just run through this for you real quick. So, Kurt, we are murdering. Everyone knows this. We are murdering the Power 5 teams on our schedule so far. I know it's only two, two Power 5 teams so far. But we have murdered them to the tune of 97 to 10. But in our two non-Power 5 games, including one FCS team in there with Samford, we are only, and I know only is not the right word, but we're only being those teams 72 to 22 combined. Still winning handily, obviously, but those are some funky splits, man. So how do you account for these sloppy, sluggish efforts like this against these non-Power 5 teams? Well, I, I, so I think the one thing you're seeing a lot of against these non-Power 5 teams is we're putting a lot of these young guys in situations and not protecting them as much as we are against you know, Oregon or South Carolina, the first SEC game, we kind of played them more and allowed them to get their growing pains because we knew um, these were the opportunities where these kids can get the experience so that when we need them later in the season, when you're in the, you know, the the November uh, tough time, that the experience can contribute more um, than what we're expecting from them now. I think that's one of the biggest things that you're seeing is some of these young guys are just getting thrown out there and told to grow and then i think number two one thing i and it really hit me yesterday when you're watching them all it is frustrating with these like cupcakes or like the lesser teams because you watch our defense and even offense at times but everything is so vanilla defensively like we just play zone or we play off there's no press you're not really in their face all these things so that like especially like what you saw a lot of time where like these underneath routes um um, the slants across the middle and and you just leave it open and let team kind of extend drives at times because you're not doing anything special you're staying vanilla and not trying to do anything defensively other than just you know line up in front of them and stop them I mean we brought pressures at times but I think it's fair to say that we were not bringing I mean yeah you'll bring pressure, pressure but you're not, gonna, like, you're not yeah you're not going to bring your pressure packages you're not going to do those crazy stunts that like or that we've done against good teams which create more havoc and more pressure like we weren't out there you know doing anything like it was a g-day preparation almost like scheme wise so i mean what it sounds like to me curse and, and correct me if i'm wrong here but just kind of read between the lines of what you're saying here it sounds like you think that we are approaching these games differently from a coaching perspective is that kind of what you're getting at here I think we are, and I think it is, like, especially when it comes to the young guys and then the scheme also. It's like the coaches aren't – like, I'm not saying that they're slacking in their job. Like, I, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think the attention to detail is different in game planning against these teams than what we do against other teams. I I hear what you're saying. I don't want to believe that's the case. And you might very well be right. And I, I don't have the answers. Well, I'm not I, in the media. The only reason I, don't I know. say that because there's not there's not as much install against these in these type of games. Like you're not installing like specific packages. Like all these things you you're in base more or like you're not going outside of your comfort zone. You're not doing anything special. And I think that's what I'm saying is like you're yeah. trying to beat them as vanilla as you can be. I think ideally that is true. I think ideally any coach goes into a game like this and is like, yeah, you know, if we can beat this team without showing a ton of stuff, then yeah, let's do that. But I, I don't know if 
you know, when a game like this, because Kurt, I guess it well, was I, I don't know, there I don't for know if a minute. It was coaching. Well, see, what killed me is like, I don't know if it was coaching, but Starks getting beat over and over and over on those inside slants. Um, well, that's what I you're saying. You're playing off. They're, 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 they're a heavy RPO team. They run the football well. They do RPOs yeah, and, off and, of that. And, and so, like, against these teams, people are like, oh, they're moving the ball. I'm like, yeah, if we were playing someone else and you want to shut them down, we'd be in their face a lot more. But here, we're, we'd rather just not give up a big play. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's that's fair to a degree. I, I think that we offensively, I felt like we, you know, and I have to go back. I've rewatched it once already. Today. I go back and watch a couple more times. And this wasn't what I was kind of zoned in. I was watching more personnel stuff with the first rewatch. But I felt like offensively, we weren't necessarily holding back. I felt like we were doing a lot of things that we had been doing. Um, I, we, I saw some adjustments. Uh, so, some of the stuff that we we're doing with our counters, our counter play has not been working very well. We have not been able to get that guy leaning through and, and get up to the second level. And so we did some different things with, with Bowers kind of coming like a short motion, kind of a whip motion and have him pulling through as kind of the lead guy. Cause he's done such a great job blocking and uh, he's just a little bit more athletic and kind of get to that second level a little better. So we were doing some things a little bit different. So offensively, I felt like we were like, we had our full arsenal at, at our disposal defensively. Oh, I what I, you're saying. Offensively, I, offensively, I don't think there was a problem. I mean, we racked up 500 yards. It was just more yeah, of we the mental mistakes as much as like, yeah. I mean, we were a little vanilla, but we were still, it wasn't, I guess you notice it more on defense at times. I think if there's something about what you're getting at here, Curtis, about approaching these games differently against these non-Power 5 teams, I think it's more – I don't know if it's as much game plan and scheme stuff as I think with the first thing you said. I think it's more we're using a bunch of different guys. We're playing a bunch of different guys. Think about that, that Oregon game, Curtis. The, one, of the, one of our reactions to that game was, wow, we really tightened up our, our receiver rotation, right? Well, on Saturday, like I mean, Don Blaylock was in there in the first quarter. You know, He didn't hardly play. At all, and, and you saw it against Sanford. You saw, I, I know, AD, I know, I know. AD Mitchell went down, but against Sanford, yeah. you saw a lot deep rotation meets right. and being in. I mean, Bear Alexander on defense, another example. True freshman is going to be a fantastic player for us. That dude was playing in the first quarter, Curtis. Like he was playing significant downs for us, and maybe that's a function of Jalen Carter being out, and maybe he's doing really well at practice, so he's earned some of that playing time. Sure, maybe, but you know, we hadn't seen him in that kind of role at any point, so it's. Is it just coincidental that happened to be against a team like this? Or are we actively saying, you know what, let's approach this game with the idea that we are just better than them and we're going to try to get some of these young guys more reps? I mean, I think there's probably something to that, but it wasn't even really necessarily the young guys that were that were hurting us. I mean, there were some vets out there, guys who played a lot for us that were doing some things like Lab McConkey, who we'll talk about here in a minute, that uh that kind of hurt us there. But it's just a it's hard for me to explain, Curtis. It really is. I, I think there's maybe something to what you're saying there as maybe trying to get more guys in there. Maybe there's some schemes. I didn't go back and rewatch that another time, but I felt like we were doing a lot of the same things that we were doing the first couple games. What do you think about like the leadership component of this? Is there something to that? We lost a ton of leadership off of last year's team. Is that something that we should be paying more attention to? It's hard not to. I mean, I know like Chris Smith is our leader and I, I we also have to remember these kids aren't perfect, but like I thought that that angle he took on that 56 yard touchdown pass, he he's never taking an angle like that in a game that matters. But it almost felt lackadaisical. Yes, I'm going to put that on Kamari Lasseter. Kamari Lasseter, he's got to turn. He's got to take outside leverage on that. He's got to turn. Oh, it felt like Lasseter was. He he had inside leverage. Lasseter played that. Was really getting exposed. Yeah, he played that very poorly. Especially throughout throughout the whole game, Lasseter was getting exposed on those plays because he could not keep leverage. 
You know, one thing I was sitting there watching, you know, obviously I, I truly believe maybe some of you thought they were going to beat us and there was a real threat. I never really did. I was just frustrated, but I never really thought it was like a, an actual like threat that they were going to beat us. I just wanted us to like blow them out so that we wouldn't have to hear about it all week, which we're going to have to hear about all week, but whatever. Um, but I was sitting there standing just thinking like, man, um, they do a lot of things that Tennessee does. They're not the exact same offense as Tennessee, but they like to spread you out horizontally. They like to throw the ball out to the sideline and they try to get you moving horizontally and open up space for the run game in between the tackles. And that's a lot of what Tennessee likes to do a little bit differently, but the concept is still very similar. And you know that Josh Heupel and that Tennessee offense, when they go back and they look at that tape, they're going to look at this and they're going to say, wow, we're going to try to do a lot of the same thing. So we have got to clean this up. We've done a pretty good job. It was, it was weird, though, Curse. Like, this is how I, I – another one of these examples of how I can't explain it. We've done a good job, at least in my opinion, through the first three games on defending those the screen game out there, that, the horizontal passing. I thought we've done a really good job to this point. No one's really hurt us, but in this particular game – and I, I will give Penn State credit. They are a very good offense, and they are very, very good at that. But we were just doing some things defensively that we hadn't really done all year, and it's just hard to make sense of that. I think leadership, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is part of the equation. I mean, Nolan's out there, Chris Smith is out there, but you got two true freshmen essentially starting for you. Yeah, again, Barry Alexander playing a lot of snaps for you. Warren Brinson hasn't really played much in his life. Nazir Stack has been around for a while, but hasn't really played a lot. You got two new guys at inside linebacker. You got a you got Keely Ringo out there, but you, you mentioned Kamari Laster. First real playing time, significant playing time in his career. There's a lot of inexperience out there. I mean, you miss a guy like Jalen Carter who's not really playing and on the lineup again. I do think there's a component to that. Um, but here, like, here's what it comes down to for me, Curtis. And because I, I and I'm not sure this is the full answer, but this is I, I've been trying to make sense of this. Like how like I, I try to think about this after the Sanford game. Okay, you know what? Like this team was just so crazily overmatched. Kirby, you know, Chris Hatcher, him go way back, and he's almost like he just didn't want to kill the guys on the Sanford roster because they was just such a crazy mismatch in that game. But then you see it again here in this game, and I think there's something to the idea, Curtis, that we are not carrying over the same level of intensity coming into these games. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a focus thing and that we're just being lazy. I've heard people say, like, use the word lackadaisical and lazy. I don't know if it's that. But you just don't feel like our players are out there carrying the same level of intensity from week to week, especially when we're going into these games. Are you seeing some of the same things that I am there? Yeah. The one thing that really bothered me defensively is I thought there was just a complete lack of eye discipline. And you can't have that, especially like the thing is, like, you can't develop these habits because you can't just turn it on and turn it off. And that's what made our team last year so good is they never turned the switch off. But right. right now, we they are, they're not as consistent with staying dialed in the whole time. And, I mean, also, like – But that's to be expected, though, right? Because we all knew the well, inexperience that we were going to have, I mean, at least on defense is, coming the year. It is. But I think the biggest thing is that they're, I think this was the first game where it felt like a lot of our starters played almost the entire game. Like, these kids haven't played an entire game and done that an entire game yet. Um, so you just, yeah. but it can't be a habit of, you know, oh, you only turn it on on SEC play or only turn it on on games matter. No. And that I think is where I'm frustrated with the leadership because the leaders have to hold them accountable and say, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you can't just flip the switch when you want. Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely agree with that. And I think we're seeing, a, I know it's very early and it's a small sample size, but I think we're seeing at least a little bit of a pattern here. You know, we have, you have a big hyped game, like the Oregon game, the South Carolina game, which was the first SEC game, first road game of the year. Um, people have been talking about that all offseason. It's a potential upset spot. So you have these big hype games, 
the team's fired up for it, and then you come back home against a baby seal, and the intensity is not there. And I guess, again, that's somewhat to be expected with some of the, the youth that we have on this roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But just because it's to be expected doesn't mean that it's okay. We've got to fix that. Now, I think when our schedule picks up and we get full on into SEC play here starting next week, that will certainly help things. So you're not going to have games like this. I guess Vanderbilt might be a game like this. But that is that is something that, I mean, we've got to overcome that. I don't know how you do that, though, Curtis. Like, Is it just a, an experience thing that these guys have to go through this and get this out of their systems? Or is this something that coaches can actually coach up and teach? Because you know Kirby is coaching his ass off out there, man. Like, He's preaching on this stuff week in and week out, day in and day out. And you got there in the game, and then the intensity is not quite there. So is there anything the coaching staff can do, or is this something the players just kind of have to go through and just gain that experience? I think it's on the players. The, the lack of eye discipline outside of like benching kids and trying to give them tough love, it, it's, it comes to a point where it's on the kids. Yeah. I mean, at some point it is. I mean, you see Kirby. I mean, you, you like know you said, what Kirby, Kirby how he's wired. Even when he has the backups in, even when the backups are in, Kirby's over there coaching them hard and coaching yeah. the heck out of them. Like he's he doesn't take it easy on anyone just because they're backups or it, the game's over. No, he coaches them hard. So I think that's why it's on the kids at this point. I mean, I know you always say, well, the, you know, the buck always stops here, right? But it's always the, it's the head coach's responsibility. But Kirby is not coaching any less. He's not coaching any less hard than he than he does any other game when he's playing these teams. First, he's not. In fact, I would argue that Kirby, especially in practice that week, from what I understand, in games like this, he's actually harder on the players because he knows the tendency of young guys coming into games like this. That the focus, the intensity is not going to be there. So, if anything, he goes over the top in preparation for games like this. So, I guess you can always say, yeah, the buck stops with him and it's his responsibility. But you're right, Curtis. I think at some point the players have to say, like. We've got to fix this. We've got to come in here with the right mindset. We always talk about playing to our standard. And in two games, at least, since these non-Power 5 opponents, we clearly are not playing to that standard, making some mistakes here. But, Curtis, I'm going to go back to the question I asked you. Like, What was your initial kind of visceral reaction for me? I mean, I wasn't – I know that people were concerned. I, I, and we'll get to that in a second. And I get that to a degree. That wasn't really my reaction. I was just pissed, man. Like, I was pissed off that we did this again. Like it can happen once you get Samford. Okay. I get it coming off that big win against Oregon. And it's such an overmatched team. I fine. I'll, I'll give you guys that one. I'll give you a mulligan there, but for this to happen the second time in a row against a team like this, that pisses me off. That cannot happen. We always talk about playing to our standard and we make a big deal out of this. And then when you come out here and you play like this, it pisses me off. It really does. Curtis. Like I, I that's that kind of performance just, it angers me, man. Like we should be better than that. And we are better than that. Like this cannot happen. This absolutely cannot happen. You cannot have these ups and downs. Because if you play like this, Curse, against an SEC team that actually, you know what, is equipped to take advantage of, of a game where you don't bring your A game, you bring your C level, D level game. That's how you get beat. That's how crazy upsets happen. This kind of thing cannot happen. And honestly, I know these guys work hard and they work their butts off, but it's as a fan, as somebody who is invested and cares, I was pissed off watching this, man. I really was. And Curtis, we have a lot more left to talk about, a lot more meat on this bone today. But before we go any further, I do want to remind all of our listeners out there about my bookie. There is one week left, guys, for you to take advantage of our exclusive promo for Glory UJ listeners. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag. Sign up for a new account, 
Use the promo code UGA when you do so, and you will get a 100% sign-up bonus on whatever that first deposit is. Charlie and I are going to be giving you guys picks all season long. In all honesty, uh, the picks this week were not great. We did not have a good week. We were hitting at about 67% coming into this week. We were red hot, but this week brought us back down to earth a little bit. But We are still hitting well over 50% of the year. In fact, we're still right around the 60% range. And we'll be right back at it this week with a bounce back week, giving you guys more winners that you can use to put money into your pocket and to take advantage of those picks You've got to have an account. MyBookie is the place to do that, guys. I've been using MyBookie for a long time. I'm a long time loyal customer because they treat me right. Easy deposits, easy withdrawals. They have lines on everything, every kind of betting option you could possibly imagine. MyBookie has you covered. So again, take advantage of the promo code UGA while you still can for the next week so that you can get a 100% bonus on that first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we are back. And Curtis, I want to continue this conversation by going back to something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Kirby Smart did say after the game in his post-game press conference that we needed this. We needed a game like this. You alluded to this a few minutes ago. Do you agree with that, that we needed a game like this? I do, and I think for a couple reasons. Like, first off, this was – I've previously mentioned, like, this was the first time the guys had to play – almost the entire game and it was a physical hard fought game and they and they were pushed when they kind of came in at this noon kickoff thinking it wasn't going to be it was going to be a cakewalk and so it kind of was a wake up call like it, it reminded me of like you know that Friday night lights clip in the state championship where he's like wake telling the guys to wake up and it's kind of was like that um the guys needed to wake up and this, I think the biggest thing was like also all week I can't, uh, it was fine bomb saying Georgia replaced Alabama as the premier program. And it, it was Joel Clatter, one of those guys on their uh, radio show, was just like hyping – like all these pe- people in the media have been hyping up Georgia, especially some of these young guys who have never been battle-tested, haven't been pushed, um, have been reading the press clippings. Like I think, you know, I, I, I think it's happened. I think some of these kids, you know – think that you could just show up and win these games because it happened last year when they were watching it or, you know, on the sidelines or doing all these things. But this is like, you can't just show up and win no matter who you are. Like 
and, and realistically, if you were going to be pushed like this, I'm glad it was against Kent State instead of someone like Auburn or some of these programs right. where you don't want to give them any hope and that they could also have the ability to sneak up and get you in the butt. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It seemed like Auburn. We are so much better than Auburn, but if we come in and play below our capabilities, like so far below our capabilities, which, I mean, I'm not saying like we were terrible. We actually did a lot of really good things on Saturday, but we clearly did not play to our standard. And if, that, and if we do that against a team like Auburn, who we are better than, they can still find a way to beat us. Like they have enough players to find a way to beat us. I mean, maybe barely enough players. Says Auburn does not look good right now. We've got a miracle win on Saturday against Missouri. Dear God, poor Charlie. Charlie had that as an, as an upset special and Missouri let her down. But I mean, there are teams on our schedule that are going to be more capable of taking advantage of poor games and poor performances by us than what Kent State is. And that's, I guess, where my frustration is. We've got to clean this stuff up. So I, I think what you're getting at here, Curtis, like the fact that like the part of this that it humbled us and that's good for our team to kind of go back to basics and be humbled and, and start to grind again, all those things. I think that's good. I think that that's certainly a part of this. Here's why I think this was a good thing for us. And I know here we are putting the spin on this, and but I, I truly believe this, guys. I think adversity, it's, it's all about adversity. Adversity in a game like this where you're going to win, like pretty much no matter what. Again, I know it was 12-10 for a minute there, but I really never felt like we were going to lose this game. So if you can get adversity and create those adverse situations in a game like this where you're just not going to lose, I think that can be a good thing to a degree. Now, again, you don't want to, you truly don't want to be at the threat of losing. Like you don't want to be like a nickel state game or a Georgia Southern game a couple of years ago, back what, 2015, where we like legitimately almost lost that game. That's not what you want, but a little bit of adversity in a game like this can be good. I really believe that because adversity is going to hit at some point. Curse is things are going to get real. We're not going to blow out everyone. I know we had a question a couple weeks ago in the mailbag. Like, will we beat anyone by less than three touchdowns this year? And it's like, yeah, guys, that's probably going to happen at some point. Like history says yes. I know we were really good the first couple of weeks, but I mean, if you look at it historically, there are going to be tight games. All the best teams in, in the history of college football have a tight game here or there. Adversity is going to come. And with a young team, you do not want their first taste of adversity to be against Tennessee or to be in Jacksonville against Florida or to be on the road in Starkville or Lexington. You do not want the first taste of adversity to be in those settings and those situations because that's when young players get tight. You want them to be able to go through adversity and fight through it in games like this where you're never really at risk of losing and come out the other end and say, you know what? We faced some adversity. We got through it. If we find ourselves in a situation like this again, we can come through it again. You want to have that confidence when that situation hits, hits again because I'm telling you guys, I know we don't want to believe it, but believe it. It's going to happen. There will be more adversity. And I think that's why. If you look back on how things played out, so a 17-point victory, it might not be the worst thing to go through something like this. Now we have to sit through and listen to all the, all the media members out there all week talk about how overrated we are, which is a big part of my frustration in this game. But I think when it's all said and done, I think this might actually end up being okay for us. might actually help us get to the point where we want to get to by the time this season's all said and done. But again, Curtis, as I was just saying there, a big reason for my frustration watching what we all watched on Saturday was that I knew what was inevitably going to follow all this week. Like we are now going to head into it. Just get ready for it, guys. We're going to head into a full week of 
Georgia was overrated. And you mentioned the rat poison curse, people have been building this up for the first couple of weeks, and now they're going to start tearing us down. This is what happens, right? None of it matters. It doesn't matter at all, but it's still annoying. Nonetheless, I still don't want to hear it. And then sure enough, Curtis, right on cue, I wake up Sunday morning, check my podcast, and the title of a national college football podcast, I'm not, that shall remain nameless, but some of you might know this one, was, quote, Georgia exposes themselves. So, Curtis, let me just ask you, man. Did we really just get exposed yesterday? No. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I guess all people trying to say we got exposed on offense. I'm like, Crazy. how did we get exposed on offense? We had two turnovers. Was it three turnovers? Or two turnovers on offense. Like, I don't count last. Three. We had three um, we, okay, two okay, turnovers. Yeah. yeah, two on offense. You had a fumble in the pick, right? Yeah. Yeah, two on offense. And we had over 500 yards. We didn't punt once. So yep. – how did we expose ourselves? Because the only time we were stopped is when we stopped ourselves. We did whatever we wanted on offense between the 20s. Now, when we got inside the red zone, all bets are off. But between the 20s, we did whatever we wanted. That's why I'm just like, okay, defensively, yeah, we got some things to work on. But I also think it was some of these young guys. Um, we're talking about Nazir Stock, Stackhouse. He came in and kept shooting the gaps and not playing gap integrity and exposing our linebackers. But when you have Jalen Carter and people like that in there, I don't think that's going to happen as often i just overall i just don't i don't get this whole they've been exposed because if that's the case didn't alabama get exposed by texas i mean if quinn ewers wasn't hurt he was you know cooking with against them um so couldn't you say all these teams have been exposed like i think that's crap curtis we beat i mean i'm just like i did a little bit of a preview a short preview of kent state coming coming into the week and i told you guys that they would not be intimidated they've played a lot of power five environments they played washington they played oklahoma already well we our margin our yardage margin against this team against kent state was greater than the yardage margin that oklahoma had over them and washington had, had over them so if we got exposed then didn't they both get exposed to curtis and those are two teams that everybody feels really good about yeah i mean that's i was just like just some of the takes like i get i get being frustrated but the extremes that people have gone to. But at the same time, I love it because now it's almost That's what like, makes college football college football girls. People are passionate. They're, yeah. they're invested. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm happy about it. You know, I'm annoyed with it. But I, like, I, like I, I, I think Georgia needed to come down a peg, especially after winning the championship last year, and especially some of these young guys, especially defensively, who haven't, earned, haven't won jack, you know, jack crap. Yeah, they haven't. They're, the right. ones, they're the ones that needed to be brought down. So I'm glad they're seriously being doubted now. Oh, yeah, and you know, Kirby talks about, and I love this. I love the we're not going to be hunted, we're going to hunt. That's great, man. You can preach it all day long, but when these guys are feeling themselves, that hunting is, um, there's not as much urgency in that. I think a game like this can create more urgency when now you're going to go on the hunt again. So, again, I, I know like it sounds crazy, and it sounds like we're just kind of putting a positive spin on this, but I truly believe, I think a game like this, we can still walk away with a 17-point victory, is actually going to end up being a pretty good thing for us. But as to the the exposed thing, just to add on to that a little bit, Curtis, I, I just let me let me vent here for a minute, man, because I'm with you. I, I I keep hearing this, and it's like, come on, guys, like come on, like I, I get it. I know you're frustrated, and and the national media members, they're just reactionary. They're not invested in us at all. They're just reactionary, and that's fine. They want clicks, whatever. Uh, but okay, so if you want to say that we were exposed, then okay, maybe. Maybe you could say if, if we were exposed for being young and inexperienced and prone to letdowns after big emotional hype matchups, then yeah, sure, maybe we were exposed. But let me go back to last week, guys. First off, I told you that this was going to be the best offense that we had faced, and nobody wants to listen to me when I say that because it's Kent State. It's a MAC team. We've played Oregon. we played South Carolina. 
This was the best offense that we have played to this point. And I know Oregon's offense is different right now, but the Oregon offense that we played week one is not the same Oregon offense that's out there playing right now. Okay. So the Oregon offense we play compared to this offense, this offense is the most prolific offense that we have faced to this point. And as you were saying, Curtis, we still did whatever we wanted to do on offense between the 20s. Now, the red zone, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's another story. But between the 20s, we were moving the ball at will. And let's look at some of the margins here, guys. The yardage margins in our first four games. So we outgained Oregon by 258 yards. We outgained Sanford by 351 yards. We outgained South Carolina by 241 yards. We outgained Kent State by 248 yards, Curtis. That's only 10 yards fewer than we outgained Oregon, and we beat them 49-3. to So what I'm saying is the production is there. There was just some more mistakes in this game. We had one fewer first down. In this game against Kent State, then we did then we did against South Carolina. We had 30 first downs against South Carolina. We had 29 against Kent State. We held Kent State, the best offense that we have played to this point. We held them to their lowest yardage output of the season. We put up more yards on the Golden Flashes than any other team has this season. They've also played Washington, who has a prolific offense so far. Played also they played Oklahoma, who also has a very good offense so far. We held one of the best rushing offenses in the country to under 100 yards rushing, guys. They they averaged about 250 yards rushing a game. This is what that team does, and we did that without Jalen Carter, our game record in the middle of our defense. We held them to 3-4-11 on third downs. That's 27%. We converted ourselves 7-12 of 12 third downs for 58%. So the production, everything that we've been doing all year, we did that to Kent State. The difference was, as you mentioned, Curtis, we turned the ball over three times. We gave up three easy punts, or three easy points on a muff point. Uh, sorry, on a muff punt. Uh, or we had a cornerback in Kamari Laster who played with the wrong leverage on a screen that gave up a 56-yard touchdown pass. I mean, outside of that, Curtis, they only had they really only had one drive in this game. That was a drive worth speaking of. They had one drive late third, early fourth quarter. That was the only drive of more than 50 yards that they had in this game. They had six drives. Six of their 10 drives were less than 10 yards, Curtis. And then you had Lad McConkey. You know, he had drops. He had two touchdown passes that I, I think were going to be touchdown passes that were dropped. Had a fumble on the Kent State 37. I add that up. To me, that comes out like 17 points minimum, right? That's like a 17-point swing because Lad McConkey had the worst game of his life. And that's not who Lad is. Lad had a really, really bad game, but that's the anomaly to this point. So, again, what I'm saying is, guys, don't freak out. We we were exposed? No, no. We did to them everything that we've been doing to everyone else just with a few more mistakes thrown in there. And yes, we've got to clean up that stuff. We cannot make those kind of mistakes. But that so far through a third of the season, that performance, those mistakes have been the anomaly compared to what we've seen throughout the rest of the year. So I'm going to step off my soapbox here, Curtis. I just had to get that out of my system because I'm tired of hearing it already. And it's only Sunday night, and I'm already tired of hearing that. But we're going to hear for the rest of the of the week and maybe even more, depending on what we do to Missouri next week. But, um, Curtis, moving on here just a, a little bit, man. Got a couple more things I do want to touch on. We, I, I just mentioned Lad McConkey. Obviously the worst game of his life, at least his Georgia football life. Are you concerned about Ladd moving forward, or is that just kind of one of those random, like, weird outings? I think it may be a random outing because I'll say as frustrated as I was with him in the first half, I thought he bounced back in the second half. Um, so that's why I th- if he had stayed out the rest of the game or he came back and didn't do anything the second half, I'd probably be a little bit more doubtful of him. But the way he was able to bounce back in the second half and at least make an impact yeah. it left me a little bit encouraged. I mean, he got into his head in the first half, right? It had to. 
I, there's no way that you can make some of those mistakes and kind of have them just like roll up on you like that. And, and it's kind of like, a, it almost, almost like an avalanche, right? It's like a, it just all kind of just builds up, builds up, and it's kind of crushing you. But he comes out in the second half, you're right. And I was really, because he got benched there for a minute, right? At the end of the first half. That's what it and seemed he, like. Yeah, I mean, he, he he was. like for the They basically put him on ice for the rest of the first half. And then I was curious to see what we're going to do in the second half. I want to give the coaches credit for going back to him. You know, he muffed the punt, and the first time, you know, Kirby sends him back out there. And he should have fair caught that, right? I mean, that, that should never have been a, an attempt to try to catch the ball. It took his eye off because the guy was bearing down him. He should have fair caught it. But you live and you learn through those things. But Kirby put him back out there. And uh, after the drops, we put him back out there. Then we kind of put him on ice because it was just kind of getting to his head. You want to let, let him just kind of like – chill out for a minute, come back in the second half, and we make a point to give him the football. And he made some he made a really one really, really nice catch. He made some good plays for us. Ended up with over 60 yards receiving on the on the day. So look, Lad McConkey is a big time player for us. And he's going to continue to be a big time player for us. Was this a bad game? Undoubtedly a terrible game for Lad. But talking about anomalies, like this is an, an anomalous performance for Lad McConkey. We've seen enough of this guy to know that this is not who he is. That was the day he had, but that's not who Lad McConkey is. And by the way, he's also been working through a foot injury. He's not been practicing all that much. He hasn't been, been taking a lot of reps. And so when you're not taking those kind of reps, you get a little rusty. You're not going through the ball protection stuff. You're not doing all those kind of things, getting the reps you need. And, and that can certainly impact you because you're not getting the contact in practice either. So when the contact happens in the game, now it's a little bit of a different story. So there's some context there. But Ladd is, is a baller, man. I'm not worried about Ladd. It was a bad game. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a very, very bad game. But he will bounce back because that's what – Ladd McConkey works his tail off. And uh, I'm excited that he's on our football team. And guys, we are not done yet. Still a lot left to talk about. But before we go any further, I do want to tell everyone about Alumni Hall. If you are in the market for any UGA gear accessories, it's a no-brainer, guys. Alumni Hall is the place to go. I cannot tell you the number of listeners that we have that send us DMs, that hit us up, and let us know all the great stuff that they've gotten from Alumni Hall. We tell you guys here on the show what we think of Alumni Hall, because we mean it, because just like my bookie, I've been shopping at Alumni Hall since the store opened, and basically every other UGA gear and accessory shop, they uh, were essentially dead to me after Alumni Hall opened up, because my bookie has everything that I could ever dream of as a Georgia fan, and even more than that. And I'm very excited that a lot of our listeners are finding out that I am not exaggerating when I say all these things on this podcast about how great Alumni Hall is. So if you haven't found out for yourself... Do yourself a favor, go to alumnihall.com or shop in-store next time you're up here for a game inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Centers right off 316 and get yourself the type of Georgia gear that would make even the biggest Georgia fan envious. It really is a no-brainer, guys, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, let's keep this thing rolling. I, I got to go here, ma'am. My biggest concern right now is consistency in the red zone. We simply cannot drive all the way down the field like we did in this game. Like we moved the ball between the 20s at will. But we cannot drive all the way down the field and then settle for field goals against better opponents. Here's another weird split, Curtis. Against Power 5 teams, we are almost flawless in the red zone. We're scoring touchdowns on 92% of our red zone appearances against Power 5 teams, against Oregon and South Carolina. Against Sanford and Kent State, only 50% of our red zone trips are converted into touchdowns. Right now, we're 66 nationally in this statistic. So, Kurt, what are the issues there, and how do we fix it? Um, I think the biggest thing, or the biggest thing I think, or some of it, I'm not gonna say the biggest thing, but one thing is like execution is what really is bothering me is when we can't spread out the field and we're having to run or do certain things is when we are struggling. Um, one thing that really stands out to me is our guard play. It killed us uh, in that one play where Kendall Milton runs down to the two and instead we get a penalty pushed all the way back and then the drive stalls out. Um, yep. Can't have that. But it, I think in general in the red zone is when the field shrinks is when we're struggling because the guard play is so abysmal right now that well, it's, it's certainly trouble. inconsistent. It's certainly inconsistent. Yeah, it is extremely inconsistent. And I think that like when the field shrinks is when we have a lot more trouble protecting the quarter. Or I told you a couple weeks ago, legs. Tate Rattledge is not moving well right now, man. I don't know. I, I noticed not that looking I athletic noticed and moving he, well. He is hobbling really badly yeah. or not really badly, but he has a noticeable hobble to him. He's just and, not moving. Like, he, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think level. he's forgotten how to be. He's, he hasn't forgotten how to be a good lineman because he like last year the talk was he's our best one. Um, right. going into the season but you watch him he just cannot move his feet well but it's bad because xavier trust is no better than tate ratledge at whatever percent tate ratledge is at right now yeah, i just I, yeah i just question whether tate's fully healthy right now i i'm no tate I don't think more of Willick, I'm, I'm curious to see if we see more of him moving forward they tried to I'm do curious. it with Willick and trust out there but then trust screwed up and they had to just yep. go back to like Willick and ratledge yep yep i mean they took tate out because tate gave up like uh, i mean just a horrible pressure. Like he just, I mean, he almost got Stetson killed there and they took him out on the next drive. And then you're right. They put Willick in a right guard. Usually Willick's coming to left guard. And then yeah, trust makes a mistake. He had that penalty and they take him out and put, they move Willick over to left guard and put Rattledge back at a right guard. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I love our tackle play right now. I think we're doing, well, I, I'm very happy with our tackle play. It hasn't been perfect. I think Warman Clinton hasn't played at as high of a level as I think he has the first couple of years. I think Marius Mims is, I think he's going to keep eating into the snaps there at left tackle. We'll see. But I mean, I think Broderick's playing really well. I think SVP's playing really well at center guard, which I get more consistency there. But I think, Curtis, when you talk about the red zone, for me, here's what it comes down to. My biggest thing, you mentioned the field shrinks. You're exactly right. So when the field shrinks, what you need to be able to do is run the football. And we are still yeah. not a dominant running football team. Like when we have to line no, up and, I, and, and I run think it down your throat, we're, we're still not there yet. Like, how, yeah. like, let's, I mean, Curtis, it's weird because we put up – this is our biggest rushing total of the year, 257 yards, 6.3 yards per carry. But we're still having – I believe, in my opinion, that we're having trouble lining it up and running between the tackles when we want to, when we need to. Yeah. Are you still seeing the same things, or am, am I making too much I of this? Am, um, I, I am Kendall Milton. I, I, I'm not going to trash him. I'm saying he's not good. I think he's still injured. Um, I still don't – I think that hamstring is still bothering him, and I think it's not right. only that, but maybe mentally he doesn't trust his, his leg 
you know, the leg quite yet. He's afraid to push it. Um, so in, in the red zone is where he should thrive. Like he should be the one thriving in the red zone. Um, and not well, bring him in there at the right red now. zone back, but he's, exactly. it's not and, translating and the, right now. It's not translating. And I think a lot of it has to do both mentally and health wise um, from what I can gather on him. And it, it, and, and that's what's killing us. Like he, sh- he should be the guy doing it. Um, Kenny Mack is, I mean, he's good. Um, Deja has actually probably been our most effective short yardage guy right now. I think Dejan Edwards has been our most effective running back so far. I mean, you're talking about like pure running back, like running the football running between back, the tackles, yes, he's been the best. Pure running back, agree. I mean, he has been. He needs more carries. I, I mean, agree. Curse, I'm dead serious. I, 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 I would get to this later, but let's just like – how like Edwards needs to be getting 10 to 15 touches a game. Or is, is, is that crazy? I think this guy is our best actual like running back between the tackles. I don't think that's crazy, especially when you consider um, – if Kendall Milton is supposed to be the big guy, then he's not athletic like Ken, Kenny Mack or Dajan no. out of the backfield. So then until he's in a position where he can do what he's supposed to, it's it's hard to argue against that. Dajan Edwards is our most consistent running back in terms of breaking tackles. He does a fantastic job of getting skinny and getting between those. I know he's a smaller guy, but I think that he uses that to his advantage. He plays, he plays with really good leverage. Um, he's, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's very, very quick. I mean, he's got really good short area quickness, which I think is really important in running backs. I think he's got great vision. He can catch the ball in the backfield. This guy needs more touches. Curse at the end of this game, we were trying to put this game on ice. Who did we have back there handing the football to? Dejan. Dejan Edwards. I think, I mean, Kirby was talking about this after the game. I've been saying it for a couple of weeks. We had a lot of questions about this in our mailbags. I think this guy needs to get a lot more carries. He is... He's not the biggest guy out there, but he has this knack for breaking tackles. He runs violently, which is the thing with Kendall. Kendall's a big body, and so you kind of look at him as a power back, but he does not run with that level of violence, at least not right now. Dajan's smaller, but he runs more violently. He runs hard. I love this guy. I think, and I'll just say this about Dajan. Every single time this guy has got a chance to play, whether it's garbage time the past couple of years or meaningful snaps right now, this all this dude does is produce. I know he was an afterthought recruit, that we only took late because the whole Zach Evans saga. But every single time this guy gets a chance, all he does is produce. Give him the freaking football. All right, I'm getting off my soapbox again. Just going to put that out there. But, yeah, back to the red zone. I think we need to be able to run the football a little better there. Curtis, here's another question. This is one thing that's always kind of – or the past year and a half or so has kind of frustrated me. We have this massive six foot seven tight end that for some reason we just refuse to use in the red zone. And I love Todd Munkin. But what do you make of our either inability or unwillingness to take advantage of what he gives us in the red zone, Curtis? You're talking about confined spaces. Throw the ball up to him. Munkin does such a fantastic job of scheming guys into matchups that are favorable to them. Do you think we need to take a look at doing more with Darnell in the red zone? I do. I, that's the one The one place I had actually questioned Munkin's decision-making is in the red zone because I can't remember which game it was, but there's been times where he's run like multiple uh, corner routes with Lad McConkey in the red zone. That's not a place for him. That's not yeah. a play. I, to me, that's the wrong t- uh, time and place for that position. The field's not big yeah. enough for him to make that effect. That's where you need a big six-foot-something receiver who can go up and take the ball away or do the over the shoulder yeah. where lad can't do. And that's that I think I've actually been frustrated with Munkin 
in his red zone play calling. And I'm because I just don't feel like Ladd is the guy you want to go to in the red zone as much as when you have Darnell, Brock Bowers, Marcus Rosemey, Jackson. Those are the people that should be getting targeted in the red zone that we aren't doing. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing with Ladd. I, I totally get where you're coming from because he's, a, he's one of our small, probably our smallest receiver, right? So why would you throw a slot fade in the, in the, in the end zone? To our smallest receiver, it, does, it seems to be kind of counterintuitive. The thing with Lad is our coaches love his ball skills. Kirby said this multiple times that he has the best ball skills of any receiver on our team. Now, I think also the fact that AD is not healthy, not out there right now, is kind of creating more of those opportunities. But I, I, your point is very well taken, Curtis. I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, there were other guys that we did to Brock, you know, and he, he made that touchdown catch against South Carolina. I think Darnell is a guy that can do some of those things as well. I mean, again, just throw, there's no DB that has the link to match up with him. If we can get Darnell matched up one-on-one in the, in the red zone, in the end zone there, throw it up. And if he doesn't catch, he doesn't catch it. But if you throw it up to him, he is going to be able to use that size, the height, the length to make plays in the football. We saw that, that curse, that play on Saturday, we kind of had to wrap his body around to catch the ball when Stetson kind of threw it behind him, which probably would have been a touchdown. If Stetson throws it accurately on that throw. That was a, and I didn't know Darnell had the athleticism in him. I didn't know he could do that, but he did. So I, I think he's a weapon that we could use in the red zone that we don't, we just simply do not make enough use of. All right, Curtis, a couple more things I want to get to here before we close this thing out today. Let's go to the special teams. A very close second for me in terms of my concerns for this football team has to be the performance of our special teams units. This has been a weapon for us the past few years, few years, Curtis. We've been really, really good on special teams. But right now, not so much through four games. And I don't think that – this is us I'm talking about. Like, we are guilty of this. We do not talk about this phase of the game, special teams, near enough on this podcast. We need to do a better job of this. We kind of just gloss over it. But I want to take a few minutes here to talk about the performance of the special teams on Saturday and also to this point in the season, Curtis. So how do you feel – about our special teams units right now? It's a little, I don't know. They're not as crisp as they have been, is the best way I put it. Um, especially punt return. Or, and, I mean, yeah, punt return, because the two fake punts, um, especially yep. like the one against this last weekend, I don't know what Dan Jackson, because Kirby said we were in the safe, like we were actually prepared for it. And then yep. Dan Jackson just lost eye, that, that, that's what you're talking about, eye discipline. Like you were, you knew this was coming, and yet Dan Jackson, just decided not to cover the guy. You thought it was I thought it was Nolan. And to me, it looked like I, Nolan who had who had. I think it was Dan guy. because that's what the on the sideline that was who Kirby was getting into. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch it because on first again, just rewatching it. I was watching there live in the stadium and rewatching it again once today. It looked like Nolan had him in man coverage and kind of started to rush the the punter and the guy snuck out the back end. But it could have been Dan. I mean, I'll go back and rewatch that and try to confirm that, but. My first thought was maybe it was Nolan, but it could have been Dan. But either way, we were, we were, of course, we were in punt safe. We basically had our defense out there, and um, they were able to convert that. So, I mean, of course, it's back-to-back games with opponents converting fake punts. I know Kirby tried to play it down and, like, act like he wasn't concerned about it. But I don't know, man. Like, that kind of thing cannot happen. Then you get the muff pump by Ladd that sets up a score. Absolutely nothing to speak of in the return game, Curtis, whether it's kickoff or punt return. We don't really know what we have in Brett Thorson at punter because we've only punted six times in four games, which is a good thing, I guess. But at some point, we're probably going to have to punt more. And I don't really know what we have there. And Pod is Pod. Pod's a good kicker. He's not an elite kicker, but he's a good, solid guy. He's played a lot for us. But I, I don't know, man. I, there's there's a certain level of concern I have about our special teams. Because if we want to be the team that we want to be, 
we have to clean some of these things up. Like elite teams aren't this bad on special teams. Am I just making too much of this right now? Is this me just kind of being I weird? Mean, it's the it's the one part that we need to clean up the most that has been consistently not at the top of the game. And I mean, it is frustrating, especially the return game. I mean, I've never actually been a huge Kiaris Jackson as a returner fan right now because we're getting no explosion out of the return game, especially a kickoff return. And that's got, somewhere he, like I'm Kiaris has got really good long speed once he gets going. He doesn't accelerate especially fast, and he's got very little wiggle. Which yeah, is why he, I don't uh, think he's a great punt returner. That's why I like yeah, Lad. I, admit, I know Lad muffed it, but Lad's got more wiggle. I like I've always liked him more as a punt returner. So I'm glad that we're using him in that role. But Kiaris, like once he gets going, I, I think if he's gonna be in the return game, kickoff suits Kiaris more, but he doesn't accelerate like some of these guys do out there across the country. Like this guy who plays for TCU, his name is Darius Davis. And I've watched every one of TCU's games so far because I have a massive win total bet on TCU to go over six and a half wins this season. And Darius Davis is a kick returner, punt returner extraordinaire. I mean, he's so good that he essentially has a green light to take out any kick from the end zone, whether it's nine yards to the end zone or not, it doesn't matter. He's allowed to take it out, and for good reason, because that dude is a dynamic with the ball in his hands. He accelerates, he's got wiggle, all those things you want in return, man. And Kiaris, I love the guy. Fantastic teammate, great leader, hard worker, good player. He's just not that kind of guy as a returner. But Curtis, getting back to our special teams, in general, if we don't clean up some of these issues on special teams, and it hasn't been all bad, but if we don't clean up some of these issues, is this something that could hold this team back from achieving all of its goals? Hunting can, yes, and punt return needs to get cleaned up too. Um, the return game, it's hard to say because realistically, it feels in this new age of college football, there's not as much returning going on in general. Most well, the of the kick people kick, kick the end zone. Yeah, the kickoff game, they'd rather you go to, you know, go to the 25, or a lot of the time they'll hit those directional punts, and it's easier to just make a fair catch and go to the 25 instead of risking it. So the kick return game, it's just hard. I don't know if we'll ever truly get that chances. Um, but the punt game, even Lab, are like, we've got to clean up the ret- the punt return um, in general. I think that that's the one spot that needs to be cleaned up the most. So I feel like kickoff's been pretty solid. Yeah, kickoff's been solid, and look, we we did block a block a punt for a safety, and we did kind of you classify that second one as a block punt, Curtis, or a tip punt. Like we certainly affected that second punt, so it hasn't been all bad. Like we've done some good things on special teams. I'm not trying to make it out like it's been a complete disaster, but I do not talk about our standard again. I don't think we've been playing up to our standard on special teams through four games. There's been too much that I've seen. It's like okay, that's not going to cut it against better competition. Because guys, I. I know how we've looked so far, and we're killing everybody, but better competition is on the way. We've got to clean this stuff up. This cannot continue to happen. We cannot be muffing punts. We cannot be giving up fake punts like that. I mean, two times in a row, Curtis. I mean, we go seasons upon seasons without giving up a single fake punt. We get two games in a row. Like that's that kind of stuff cannot happen. That's the kind of stuff that we got to clean up if we want to get back to where we were last year and go back to back. So there's plenty of stuff for this team to improve on. And special teams, I think, is certainly at the top of the list for me. All right, Curtis, uh, it's time to wrap this thing up, man. So as we do each and every week here at the end of these recap episodes, it is time to hand out our game balls for the best performances of the week. Now, to game like this, Curtis, I'm not going to lie, man. I had to dig pretty deep to try to find three guys to give game balls to. I think there's a couple of obvious ones, but outside of two or three obvious ones, I had to dig a little deeper here. So 
Start us off here, Kurt. Who gets your first game ball of the week? Uh, Brock Bowers. I feel like that's I knew you were going to take him again. Every week you take him. It's okay. He deserves yeah. it, right? I mean, he's, 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 he's easy target. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You got to go, Brock. Another, what, 137 total yards, two two rushes, 77 yards, 75-yard touchdown, two touchdowns on the ground for a tight end, five catches, 60 yards. Curse. One of the things they were talking about, I was watching the replay on ESPN Plus today, and Stitchcomb was talking about how like Brock Bowers has become like a kind of a positionless player. At least they were posing that question to Kirby. Do you think Brock, you hear this a lot with basketball, like positionless basketball. Is Brock a positionless football player? Yeah. I mean, he's not Cordell Patterson, but he's pretty close to it. Like he can do it all. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that I think if we wanted to, you see Jaheim Bell, South Carolina does this with him a little bit. I think if we really wanted to, we can line him up as a running back and hand the football like in the goal line, and he might he'd probably score for us. But we can hand the football in the run game. I know we use jet sweeps primarily. We can line him up at receiver. We can line him up in line. We can line him up H-back. I mean, this guy does, other than throw the football, and maybe he can do that too. He can really do essentially, in block, the way he blocks, he can essentially do anything that we want him to do out there offensively. So I think I, when I heard him say that, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. But I was like, actually? Yeah, I think Brock is kind of a positionless offensive player, but he is an absolute monster. And if he continues this this up, what he's been doing the past two weeks, I mean, he's going to be right in, thick of the, right in the thick of things for the Mackey Award for the nation's best tight end at the end of the season. So, yes, Curtis, he was the obvious first game ball. The other one I thought was pretty obvious to me on the defensive side of the ball was Jamon Dumas Johnson. Pop, I thought, had the best game of his career. This guy yep. – is getting better and better every game, Curtis. Like he every is. single game, he, he's, he's flying to the ball. You're starting to see that he's not thinking; he's just reacting. I, you know, yeah. I was worried, especially after week one. But I think, especially him, you know, smiles coming along. But Pop has really, he's really starting to feel it. I get that. Like I see him just yeah. feeling it. Smiles fantastic too. I mean, they're both great. But Pop had a hell of a game. I mean, two sacks. There's all the hand-wringing over a lack of sacks. He had two in the first quarter. Ended up with, leading the team with six tackles. Had three tackles for loss, and the game is all said and done. He's reading things better than he was, I think, in, in the in the first game against Oregon. He's consistently in position. He is the best tackler on the team. He's a fantastic tackler, as I mentioned before, in an era where there's not much live tackling that goes on in practice. So that is a skill set in and of itself. He's moving very well. He's actually moving better than I thought he would based off what I saw from him last year. He's kind of like leaned up a little bit. But this guy's in control right now. And again, he's getting better each and every time out. And by the time, Curtis, that the 2023 season ends, I mean, Pop might work himself into a first-round draft pick. And coming into the season, I don't think I would have said that because I thought he was a guy that, you know, I didn't know if he was a true three-down linebacker. And I still maybe have some questions on that, but – this dude, if he continues to improve the rate that he is right now, I think he could at least be in the first-round conversation after his junior year. I really believe that. So he had a fantastic game, and he just gets better and better and better. So definitely i to give Pop a game ball. All right, Kurt, who gets the second one for you? I'm going with Bear Alexander. I feel like oh, he, he was really on my flashed. list too, man. I didn't think you'd steal yeah. him. I thought that was digging real deep. Oh, no, I felt like he flashed. I saw a lot from him. Um, I just really thought, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to feel the Jordan Davis role but I think he's actually a more talented Devontae Wyatt. Yeah, actually, Curtis, that's a pretty good – yeah. Maybe a cross between those two? Yeah, like he's, he's a little he's bit bigger than Wyatt, but he's – yeah, he's not going to be that nose like Jordan, but I think he can be a little bit bigger but better Devontae. 
Yeah, so if you guys, I, mean, I know most of you, if you listen to the show, are familiar with him, but Bear Alexander, big four or five-star prospect coming out of high school last year, defensive lineman, um, was playing significant snaps for us on Saturday as early as the first quarter, and he had not been getting those kind of looks all year long. Obviously, Jalen Carter being out had a lot to do with that, but still, I thought he played well when he was given those opportunities, and you can see this is a guy that's oozing with talent, and the more and more he plays, kind of like Pop, the better and better he's going to get. So I hope that we can, can continue to find ways to get him into the football game. All right, Grant, I'm not going to let you steal this guy. The other one I felt was pretty obvious to me, Dejon Edwards. Talked about him a little bit earlier. Loved this guy. Just absolutely loved him. He was an afterthought kind of guy in the recruiting class. He came in with the Zach Evans, that whole saga, and then we needed a guy late, and he's from Colquitt County. We threw him an offer, and he took it, and he got nothing but garbage reps his first couple years. Always made the most of it when he got opportunities, but no one really even thought much of him coming into this year. But this is a guy that all he does is work, man. He works. He plays his tail off. He plays as hard as he possibly can. And he runs through tackles. And he's in terms of breaking tackles, he's the most productive running back on our team in that regard. 12 carries, 73 yards rushing on Saturday. When we needed to ice the game late, it was Dejan Edwards, not Kenny McIntosh, not Kendall Milton, that we were giving the lion's share of those carries to. And once again, Dejan Edwards produced because that's what that dude does. 6.1 yards per carry. If we want to get our run game kickstarted, I think getting him more touches is going to be a big part of that. All right, Curtis, we might have to dig really deep with these last game balls after that performance. Who you got with your last game ball? Uh, my last one is going to go to Pod. Um, he, I mean, he was solid. Okay. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, um, that's yeah. I mean, hey, he he made he made the kicks when they were there. Nothing. I mean, there was what one was the forty plus yarder. I want to say. But they weren't like overly difficult kicks, but he did what he had to do. And there's a lot of consternation in the preseason curves. A lot of word come out of camp and fall camp that uh, the kicking game did not look good. And so I was kind of concerned because I'd heard from some people that I trust. Like, oh, man, it's not looking good right now. I was like, dang, like what happened to Pod? But so far, knock on wood, so good. And him still being the solid Pod that he's always been. So love to see that. And last one here for me, Curtis, I'm going to go. I'm going to go off the radar here. I'm going to go Jalen Walker. True freshman inside linebacker. He's not playing much really at all uh, in terms of defensive snaps. But um, he's one of those guys that, even though he's not playing what he, doing what he wants to do, actually getting snaps on the defensive side of the ball, he's embraced his role as a special teams player. He's playing really, really hard for us on special teams. And it was great to see him get that block punt that I wish we could have recovered for a touchdown, but recovered, I guess, one of the back of the end zone for his safety. So I'm going to give Jalen Walker, true freshman, embracing that role as, uh, as a special teams player for us, playing a lot of special teams and also producing there with that block punt but all right guys that does it for us today here on another edition of the glory uga podcast this was not the most fun game to watch in fact it was one of the most frustrating experiences i've had watching a georgia football game in quite some time i'm sure a lot of you probably share those feelings but hey we won the game it wasn't pretty but we still won by 17 points, got out of there with a W, did what we have to do. We'll have to take our lumps this week in the national media and hear everyone talk down about us and tear us down after spending the past three weeks building us up. But hey, that's par for the course, whatever. That doesn't matter. But now we are set to head full force into conference play. Get the Missouri Tigers coming up this week. Charlie will be jumping on again with me on Tuesday for our mailbag episode where we take one last final look back at the game that just happened and start to take a little bit of a look forward to our upcoming game this weekend, which of course will be 
in Columbia against the Missouri Tigers. Then I'll have the game preview episode for you guys, and Charlie and I will wrap things up once again with our picks of the week. So a lot of great content, as always, each and every week throughout the entire football season for you guys. So make sure to keep coming on back. We'll have the content for you guys. All you have to do is show up and be here. But thank you guys for listening. We love each and every one of you. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, sloppy performances or not, go dogs.